Welcome to Medical Minefield, where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. I'm Barney Kalman, the health editor at The Mail on Sunday, and with me is The Mail on Sunday's deputy health editor, Eve Simmons. Hello. As with many interesting stories, this one has come via Twitter. A few weeks back, I came across a thread from a paediatrician named Dr. Zishan Qureshi, in which he used a term that I'd never heard before, white-led care. Have you heard? No, I'm not aware of it. So he described a scenario in his thread in which a patient had requested a white doctor uh, for their child and that this request had been accepted by the clinical manager at the hospital. And this shocked me that something would be accepted like that by doctors. Because, of course, it's not that I'm unaware that there are horrible people out there with revolting views that don't reflect the majority of people. But You would have thought there'd be a protocol or something in place that when these disgusting views are aired they are dealt with and there is a way to deal with them but that it was accepted and pandered to almost obviously the interesting thing is that this has been addressed our former health secretary matt hancock spoke about a zero tolerance approach back in 2019 he said specifically if a patient was to request a white doctor they should be told no And there are also processes in place that you would have a security guard called or you'd have backup or such like if you had an aggressive or abusive drunken patient or Mm. that you were threatened in some other way. But in the case of paediatrics, clearly, the racist person, the abusive person is not the patient, Mm. which puts these doctors in a particularly difficult situation because the patient in this case is the innocent party that that they've not started anything they're just you know awaiting treatment and should treatment be refused to that patient they too would become the victim of their parents racism it's clearly a minefield um it's something that needs to be addressed quite urgently I'm not going to really be well-placed to describe exactly what's going on. So I think it's just important that we hear directly from Dr Qureshi himself. We have London-based paediatrician Dr Zishan Qureshi on the line with us right now. Dr Qureshi, thank you very much for finding time to talk to us about this. I first came across you on Twitter talking about something called, and this is a term that I'd never heard of before, white-led care. I saw your thread and was intrigued and saddened by what I read. I think anyone reading it would be. Could you start by explaining what you mean by the term white-led care? Of course, well... I am a doctor working in the NHS. I come from a medical family. My dad worked for the whole of his professional career until he passed away eight years ago in the NHS. And the reality is that there are a minority of patients that have racist beliefs that they want to drive their healthcare. And part of that is sometimes asking, not necessarily in a polite way, for white doctors to look after them. 
Now, a lot of the time this is refused and not facilitated, but sometimes it is something which is given into and in other cases it's given into for long-term care and patients have the opportunity on multiple occasions to be allocated white doctors in order to appease them and deliver them the care that they want. And just to be clear, what is your ethnic background? My family are from Pakistan. Right. And so is it something that you have personally experienced that patients have said that they didn't want you to be a doctor because you were not white? Is that something that you've experienced? Yes. And sadly, it's something I've experienced on multiple occasions. And it's not just people who have said they haven't want me to be a doctor. It's something that I've experienced in my social life. It's something that I've experienced in other medical settings outside of clinical practice. And it's something that I'm quite frankly fed up with because especially as frontline health clinicians, it's not something that we should be tolerating or experiencing as a norm as part of the job. Could you describe to me uh, an incident? I mean, we've spoken already, but there was an incident that you have mentioned to me in which you attended the birth of a very premature child. Could you take me through that incident? Um, Because I think it very clearly illustrates exactly what you're talking about. Of course. So this was a few years ago in in the recent past, and... I was working on a newborn baby unit. It was a night shift. And about 3 a.m. in the morning, I got a call to attend the delivery of a very premature baby. And it's routine for doctors to go to these because a baby born very early is a baby that is going to need help because by definition, because they're being born early, they're not ready to survive outside of the womb. And so they're going to need help controlling their temperature, controlling their breathing, even for their heart, they might need help pumping blood around the body. So we have a doctor available at the delivery, often multiple doctors, to attend to the baby immediately when they are born. So I went down to the ward ready to receive the baby and I wasn't greeted with warmth and kindness. I was greeted with a dad staring me down and in not pleasant terms, told me that because I was Asian, he didn't want me in the room. And I left fearing for my own safety and waited outside. The midwife then went back into the room after I'd briefly spoken to her and the, the the funny thing was actually every paediatrician on shift that day was of an Asian background and she actually apologised to the dad saying that there were no, no white doctors available and he begrudgingly let me back in. Security weren't called, I wasn't apologised to and it was a very, very uncomfortable situation for me. I wanted to help the baby. We've always been taught that patients come first. I didn't want to involve my colleague because I don't want him to potentially be subjected to abuse. And I had a racist parent breathing down my shoulder, watching every move that I did, resuscitating the baby when they were delivered. And you know, luckily, I was able to 
deliver the care to the baby that they they needed. My concentration wasn't taken away and I didn't receive any further abuse. But it was a really, really difficult situation. And I was really right. saddened by the fact that nobody stood up for me. No one challenged the dad. And all that mattered was that we managed to find a way to get to the baby. And my dignity and being respected at work didn't seem to come into consideration. And in the aftermath, was anything said by your colleagues? No, we almost pretended like it never happened and just carried on with the day. I spoke to my fellow doctor who was from an Asian background and he just acknowledged the fact that it happened and that it's just something which we have to put up with and was pretty much left at that. The dad, to be fair, eventually came upstairs and saw me tending further to his baby and apologised for how he was in the heat of the moment. And I accepted that apology and, and wished him well. But nothing happened in terms of disciplinary action or in terms of any acknowledgement from the hospital that we need processes to deal with racist threats and attacks on doctors. I mean, this happened some time ago. How does it make you feel now talking about it? I think the issue of race has come to the forefront of societal debate, not least in healthcare. And now, now there are so many more minority leaders at the top of organisations. And I think actually now there's so much more room to speak up and to challenge and I just wish that that was the situation back then because it would have meant change could, could happen earlier. But what I'm hoping for by, by speaking out is that this can accelerate a process whereby we really, really acknowledge the fact that this happens. We have processes in place in order to deal with it and we can protect doctors that stand up to racist patients and parents in a way that doesn't compromise the care of the children or the patient in the process and we can really maintain dignity and respect to staff working within our hospitals. I want to go back to something that you said that in the immediate aftermath of that incident that you spoke to a colleague who was also from an Asian background and there was almost a weary acceptance that that occurred. And, you know, in hindsight, I mean, how do you think that over the years trying to work as a doctor in an environment where you have had to accept that a level of, of abuse and that it would be accepted by your, your white colleagues, how do you think that's affected you? Well, I mean, it's not just from that conversation with my Asian colleague on that night. Growing up with a Asian doctor father, he very much said that racism was something to accommodate to, not to try and change. And I think this acceptance of usually low-level um, rejection or abuse in the long term, I mean, we know now that that's incredibly bad for your own well-being and your own mental health, but also mm. for your physical health, like your blood pressure and your cardiovascular risk. And further to that, you know, your belief in yourself as a doctor, your mm. desire to apply for 
uh, promotions, your ability to work independently without asking people for support, all of those things are made worse by a tacit acceptance of you being seen as inferior by a whole series of patients. Dr Qureshi, I just think that story that you've told is is completely shocking. And I wonder what you think would be the solution in that situation. How do you think it should be handled? I think the challenge with abuse is that often it happens in a very small group setting. So this was the middle of the night, limited number of staff around one midwife was witnessing it and unless you have every single person aware of the fact that racism is a problem and that it needs to be dealt with in a certain manner then you'll have these instances where things are ignored i spoke to another colleague about it several years later and you know their response was look if i was the doctor witnessing that i'd have made it very clear that the father cannot speak like that, that security would be called if he continued to behave inappropriately and that's not something to be put up with. But at the moment, there is a lottery as to how this is going to be dealt with. Mm. The solution to me is very clear that there needs to be clear and robust guidelines for how to deal with racism when it is presenting with patients. And I think in my specialty, paediatrics, there's an extra challenge because nobody wants to punish an innocent child for their parental racist behaviors Mm. and so this question itself has to be tackled with the nuance that it deserves and that's what i'm hoping to do in the in the long term to empower everybody to stand up to racism because of course uh, it was a couple of years back that matt hancock the former health secretary wrote to all NHS workers and indicated that there would be zero tolerance to that kind of behaviour and that if a patient asks for a white doctor, they should be told no. But in paediatrics specifically, this has continued because of this grey area, because the patient themselves isn't the one that's being racist. Is that right? Yeah, and I mean, I think it was a positive step for Matt Hancock to say this isn't something we should facilitate for non-critical care level healthcare. But the nuance of it has not been acknowledged. Um, If you say no, it's not clear what the legal ramifications are in terms of denying care to people. The General Medical Council have never spoken out really about your protections when it comes to denying care and saying no to care and in paediatrics if I illustrate it with an example imagine a mum being verbally racist but she's holding her child a three-year-old that is struggling to breathe they're not necessarily requiring intensive care but they do need assessment if you say no to that mum and say you have to leave if you're going to behave like that or demand a white doctor then to physically tear that child away from the mum would be hugely distressing to that child, both psychologically and physically. It would make it impossible to engage with them afterwards and it will be punishing that child and delaying their care, making their condition worse for a mistake that they haven't made. So it's really, really challenging and it requires careful discussion as to how it might be managed. Dr Crushy, is there any safeguarding procedures or protocols in place at the moment to protect medical professionals from abuse from patients? 
Yeah, we have a very clear set of guidelines when it comes to aggressive and abusive behaviour and those are used quite regularly. The problem is it's very much adapted to the drunken patient that comes in at two in the morning in the emergency department where Mm -hmm. security are available, where it's something you deal with on a regular basis. The challenge with a lot of racism is it can be expressed very politely and that it can also be done in this context whereby children are the ones that are potentially going to be harmed by addressing parental behavior. I think for me, it's important to really try and reframe this question of racism from parents and think of it from the context of child protection and ask that question, you know, when is racism going to be harming a child? And if you're putting unnecessary barriers in place for accessing healthcare, that is in the field of neglect in my view if you're doing criminal activities in terms of your abuse towards staff again i think that is neglect and just creating an emotionally traumatic environment for a child to witness again that is abuse when it comes to reporting racism when it happens most hospitals do not have clear and transparent guidelines as to how it's reported what's done about it and how staff are protected afterwards and I think that often means that this belief that I started with of you just have to deal with it as part of the job is exacerbated because even if you do report it if nothing's done about it why single yourself out as being somebody that is raising trouble something that you mentioned earlier and and, you phrased it differently just now you said that that a lot of this abuse is polite and you spoke about a low level of racism. Could you describe what you mean by polite racism? Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a bit of an oxymoron, doesn't it? Um, I mean, I've had the extreme circumstance that I described where somebody was physically and verbally aggressive to me using racially derogatory language. And there's a ton of that out there. I recently published a survey in the BMJ where I asked people about the racism they experienced. And even during COVID, when we were hailed as heroes, you know, there were patients literally saying things like, get away from me, you bloody foreigner, otherwise I'll infect you with my COVID. So really, really explicit stuff. But I mean, I've been in situations whereby I've seen a child with a straightforward case of tonsillitis. I've assessed them put forward the appropriate management plan and the parents have just you know looked around at the other doctors and said you know I want a second opinion and it could very much be the case that I didn't come across confidently I didn't maybe explain myself very clearly it could be the case that actually they were very anxious and one opinion wasn't enough but the number of times that happens to my colleagues from minority background just makes me question whether there is a low level of racism that's infiltrating that opinion because it happens to people from minority backgrounds in my experience much more commonly and yeah there can also be polite requests that are very much look we would prefer to be seen by a white doctor would prefer to be seen by somebody who speaks better english would prefer to speak to somebody from a similar cultural background again very polite but with a very clear racial preference And I think this gets to a core of a problem here, that with these issues, that if it is subtle, if it is 
barely visible if it doesn't affect you directly, if it's only something that you can see, if you know that others of your colleagues from a similar background receive similar high levels of these kind of polite, oh, is there someone else that I could ask type of things. Do you find that there is a lack of acceptance amongst the medical community that this is going on? Is that why this problem has festered for so long? You know, is it not seen by by the medical establishment, this low level racism that goes on? Is it not acknowledged? I mean, there are some people that I've spoken to that have said, look, if a patient makes a polite request and they state that their preference might help them open up more, share more, be more comfortable, then it's the kind thing to do to potentially facilitate for it. What do you think about that? Well, I think it's difficult because if you imagine somebody from a Pakistani background that doesn't speak particularly strong English and they say, look, I would like to speak to a colleague that speaks Urdu, then most people would be quite sympathetic to that because they can speak more clearly and they're more comfortable. But when it comes to asking people to speak better English, you know, we have a healthcare system that mandates staff to speak good English and that the standard available to all patients from any doctor is one of good English. And for me, the NHS system is not about seeing the person that's the absolute best fit for you. Otherwise, you'd be seeing a professor of paediatrics for every single child ailment that comes in. It's about having somebody which is a good enough fit for an initial assessment. And I think perhaps we are too quick to appease some patient choices. And I think that adds a blur to the whole spectrum. And the reality is we should say, is the doctor we're providing good enough? And if they are, then that's the doctor that people should see. I know that the GMC has recently been forced to apologise for their handling of these issues. I mean, is that something that you're, you're aware of? So the GMC are doing a lot of work when it comes to recognising the disproportionate number of complaints that come towards doctors from ethnic minority backgrounds. And there was a recent case in Reading where a tribunal ruled that a doctor, Mr. Karim, had been discriminated against by the GMC in their proceedings because of his ethnicity. Um, The GMC are now appealing that and saying that they disagree with the ruling, but they're doing a huge amount of work internally to try and work out why there is this problem. I personally think that this issue has been raised with them for over 20 years and that we should be addressing it faster and with greater accountability. Mm. It doesn't send a very good message to the general public where there is this potential low-level racism fostering to also see that people from minority backgrounds are being disproportionately referred to the General Medical Council for disciplinary hearings. We need to get it right at every single level. Do you think that there is a racism problem within the GMC itself? It's difficult. I mean, I know a lot of people that work with the GMC and they are good people that have supported me and that have guided me. The problem is when there are processes in place that have implicit racial biases and that can be a challenge. And that's why these things have to be looked into 
a lot of detail. And the problem is also when people have subconscious patterns that they don't recognize themselves. And if you year after year see people from minority backgrounds being referred to you, then you're blind to the equivalent individuals from white backgrounds that are doing the same thing and not getting referred. I think it's a very complex issue. Are there enough uh, people from ethnic minority backgrounds at the GMC, you know, in senior positions and at the other royal colleges, for instance? Are there enough doctors from ethnic minority backgrounds in senior positions? Or is it a problem with the senior positions being held by white people who don't see racism as they should? It's a good question because the um, government report on structural racism made it quite clear that people from ethnic minorities are disproportionately represented in the healthcare sector. But what we see is that in entry-level positions, there's a very high level of those from minority backgrounds, but it gradually tails off the more and more senior you get. There are people that make it to the top from minority backgrounds. The chair of the BMA is from a um, ethnic minority background. A previous president of the Royal College of Pediatrics is from an ethnic minority background. There are multiple people on the GMC Council from ethnic minority backgrounds, but they're still the exception. And yes, I think it's inevitable that if you have people from those backgrounds in positions of power, they're more likely to have that lived experience of the challenges. And that's why diversity at the very top is crucial to having policies that are relevant to the diverse staff within the NHS. I wonder whether that lack of diversity at the top is the reason that this problem has not been addressed, despite it having been brought up like you say, over so many years? Absolutely. I think it's definitely a problem and we need more people in senior positions that understand these issues and that want to deal with them. And there are lots of people from white and other backgrounds that are championing the dealing of racism. I've spoke to people directly at the GMC that have not been from minority backgrounds that have said, you know, this is not good enough. We need to look into why these this is happening and here are our plans in terms of understanding and addressing disproportionate problems in those from minority groups. But perhaps things might happen faster if there are more people from minority groups at the top. Would you say that that given all of this and, and also given the fact that, you know, what you're talking about is a very kind of subtle form of, of racism and, you know, so-called microaggressions, that really what we are talking about is an institutionally racist organisation? Would you say that the NHS can really be seen as, as institutionally racist? I think it's difficult for me to comment on the NHS as an entire organisation, but what I can tell you is that I know of multiple examples of institutionally racist policies. And a clear example would be a child who whose parents are racist and whose parents request to see um, white doctors and the hospital then facilitate it and change a rotor, change the doctor that sees them, and then they have white-led care for the duration of their stay 
in, in hospital. That, by definition, is an institutional policy that is racist and facilitates racist beliefs. Have you, have you heard that this has happened multiple times? This is clearly something that you've heard of more than once. I, I personally know of three examples of the rotor reorganisation to accommodate for racist beliefs. One was reported in 2002, one in 2014, and another one just in the last couple of weeks. Mm. And what's interesting about a lot of those is that they go undocumented and they are informal agreements. So who knows how often it is happening and we're not hearing about it. Yeah, I was going to say it's uh, it's probably um, goes on a lot more more often than we realise, doesn't it? Mm. Dr. Qureshi, um, we really appreciate you spending time explaining this to us so patiently. I really hope that your speaking out really does lead to some sort of change or action now. And the Mail on Sunday is behind you 100%. Hi. Sorry to interrupt your listening, but there's another great podcast from the Mail on Sunday you might want to try. Liz Jones' Diary, the podcast, offering a weekly look into the life of Britain's most unfiltered columnist. That's me. Find us at mailplus.co.uk. This has been a bugbear of mine for a while now, Eve. When we were reporting early on during the COVID pandemic into why disproportionate numbers of black and other ethnic minority people were dying of the disease and specifically doctors as well, I began looking into the medical bodies because I, I wondered why they'd been so silent, the Royal College of Physicians, the Royal College of Nursing and Midwifery, the Royal College of Surgeons, such like. You know, obviously the the BMA is well known to be a very diverse organisation, the BMA, the British Medical Association, who are a big doctor's political group. But um, I began looking into these organisations and I was surprised to see that uh, there were very few people from ethnic minorities uh, mm-hmm. in the senior in the senior tiers of these organizations i think in the royal college of surgeons no one on their senior executive board uh, was non-white well and this is the problem isn't it because if they're not aware of this problem then they're obviously not going to speak out about it i think that you know it is it's it's the nub of, of the issue isn't it that there is there is so many strands of of these racist structures in place that have meant problems stack mm. on top of one another. I mean, I was aware, obviously, of all of the the subtle racism that goes on, which is what we have reported on. But this story, I think, really it did surprise me that such overt, disgusting racist behaviour would be swept under the carpet and ignored. I was really shocked by it. But once I started looking into it, I saw that this is not an isolated incident. In fact, it happens 
a lot more than I expected. I came across a report from a doctor called Dr. Sam Bocci, who um, said that when he was treating, um, he's, he's also in paediatrics, and um, he was treating a 17-year-old, um, and the parents said that they didn't want that person treating their child, and by that person they meant he was black. And also he's commented that the most difficult thing was that other staff members didn't say anything. They acquiesce or go along with it. And I just, you know, I'm flabbergasted that 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 happens but aware now that this is something that that does go on well i'm pleased to say that dr qureshi's own report on this is going to be carried in the mail on sunday this weekend so uh, it can be read in full and you know i hope that this leads to some kind of change being initiated finally unfortunately it's all we've got time for on the podcast If you have a question or a suggestion for a topic that we should be covering on Medical Minefield, ask us on Twitter using the hashtag Medical Minefield. You'll find all the latest health news in this weekend's The Mail on Sunday and visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all our podcast videos, opinion pieces and more. You can also follow us on Twitter by searching at MailPlus. We'll be back with another topic on Medical Minefield next week. See you then. Goodbye.